This morning's reading is taken from Acts 28, uh, verses 14 to 31. That's 11:10 in the Pew Bibles. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum and the Forum of Apius, sorry, and the tavern and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God, and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We've come to the final week in our series on Acts. Over the last eight months, I know for some of you it's maybe felt like longer, but just the last eight months, we've journeyed with the church as it learned what it meant to be the church, as it flourished and grew, as it managed growing pains, even as it suffered, as it pushed beyond the geographical and cultural confines that could have hindered it, but by the power of the Holy Spirit did not. And so we met Paul, the great persecutor of the church, as he went from place to place and killed innocent people for their new faith. And then we meet Paul, transformed by Jesus, 
the great encourager of the church, emboldening the faith of new converts far from Jerusalem, planting new churches sensitive to the cultural realities of each people and seeking God's best for them. Then just last week, we heard together Acts 27, where there is a shipwreck of this prison ship where the Apostle Paul had been to bring him to Rome to face judgment. Not just Paul on trial, though. This was going to be Christianity on trial, the culmination of the story that has been crafted so carefully and thoughtfully to recount the beginnings of the church is interrupted by this unexpected interlude, a shipwreck at sea, in God's continued provision for Paul, even in chains, and for all those who are with him, they survive, and they're ministered to, and they have the opportunity to minister to others. But it's almost like this cliffhanger on your favorite television show, right before the ending that you've been waiting so many episodes for, and then something else happens. Or the last book in a series of books that you've been reading fervently, and the author just isn't releasing this last book, What's going to happen with Paul in Rome, this thing that we've been longing for and waiting for? But Paul in Rome, we read today, isn't the Paul in Rome that we may have expected. There is no trial before the emperor in this last chapter of Acts. There is no martyrdom. There's no quashing of this new religion. But there's also no vindication. There's no relief after a long journey to Rome for the purpose of proclaiming Paul's innocence. The climax of this story seems to be distinctly an anti-climax, as no conclusion is really given. For Luke, the author of Acts, who begins his first book by saying that he made an orderly account for us, this seems incredibly disorderly. Where is the neat and tidy? Where is the bow on top of this great story? What's the conclusion? Well, the Gospel of Luke was the story of Jesus, and that story follows through from birth until his last moment on earth in his ascension. The book of Acts, its sequel, is the story of Jesus' church and the Holy Spirit's movement through it. And as we know, that story continues to this day. There has been no great ascension of the church, no conclusion to this grand adventure. And so Luke seems to leave a giant ellipsis at the end of his book. An ellipsis on the life of Paul, yes, but more than that, an ellipsis on the history and ministry of the church itself. Theophilus, to whom Luke wrote and for whom this book was written, was in his life writing the next pages of this book in his community of the church, experiencing the 29th chapter of this ongoing story. New pages are still being written in our church today, and new pages and chapters are being written all over the world, wherever the good news of Jesus continues to be shared. Our story is ever and always to be continued. To be continued until that day when finally and at last Jesus returns and is recognized as king over all. On Christ the King Sunday, even as we read this last chapter of the book of Acts, we look toward the true end of Acts, when all things will be reconciled to God. 
What began with Jesus' ascension to heaven will surely and certainly someday conclude with his return to earth. And I think that is the very ending of the story, the culmination of all the church's desire. That's the thing that Luke is pointing us toward in this, his final written chapter. And so what is he doing in this chapter? What is the last image that he wants to leave us with as we anticipate all the stories that are to come? I think the first thing Luke seems to be doing in this chapter is giving us a final look at Paul. Paul, that once great persecutor of the church, retells the story that has brought him to Rome. He highlights how he was a faithful Jew, how he had done nothing against their people or the traditions of their ancestors, how it is in fact for the hope of Israel that he is bound with this chain. And once, in fact, that is innocent of any crime against Rome, in fact, he recounts that they wanted to release him. Rome doesn't have a problem with him either. Luke shows how Paul was a prophet, interpreting scripture for others and identifying the ways that God is working in the world. And in the very last verses of this chapter, Luke shows us that Paul is a faithful servant of the king, showing all who come to him hospitality, showing them welcome, and boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you're tracking with me so far about this picture of Paul that Luke is giving us because in every way, Luke is highlighting that Paul is one who is like Jesus. In the same ways, Jesus was deeply committed to the precepts of his Jewish faith. In the same way, standing before a Roman judge, Jesus was found to have no problem with the empire. In the same way, Jesus interpreted Moses and the prophets and was persecuted for his message. So too, Jesus showed hospitality to all who sought him and was faithful to that message to the very end. In this final chapter of Acts, Luke goes to great pains to show that more than just transformed, the Apostle Paul has become like Jesus. Paul is doing the work of Christ. The last vision of Paul we are given is one of continued commitment to the kingdom of God, no matter his circumstance, without any hindrance and come what may. This, Luke is suggesting, is the truest identity and mark of the church, that we are one with Christ. Paul is not meant to be some outlier in this story, some superhero of our faith. He's not meant to be unique by any means. Rather, his is the most drastic example of someone who was completely unlike Christ, hard-hearted, prone to hypocrisy, blind to God's will, convinced that the evil he committed was for the sake of God's kingdom. And now he has become the very hands and feet of Jesus on earth, humbly serving others for the sake of that better kingdom that he has finally seen and experienced. So too, we are invited in this last chapter of Acts to grow in Christ to become day by day more like Jesus in all that we do, to hope continually that Jesus should be the king of our lives, not only in word, but also in deed and in truth, that we should finish well as Paul did, so transformed as to be unrecognizable, and so committed to this better vision of the world that Jesus offers that our lives become defined by it, so we can do nothing else 
than to seek its completion. There's a second thing that I think Luke is doing, and it's couched in that story of Paul and the Jewish leaders. This is the final sermon that Paul preaches in this book under Roman guard, and he pours out his heart for the kingdom of God. And as we read, some are convinced, but others will not believe. And so Paul speaks these words that may seem harsh from the prophet Isaiah. He says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Imagine thousands of years of waiting for your Messiah. Thousands of years of longing for God to restore the kingdom to Israel. And after all that time, some hope of that kingdom has been lost in these people. Honestly, they're not looking for it anymore. They can't see it in front of them. They won't hear it proclaimed to them. They've lost that expectation that God is doing something in this world, and they've hardened their hearts to the possibility. Those who were still waiting for the kingdom, who were still longing for their Messiah, those people hear it and receive it with joy, and they join in its telling. But others of them, they lost the thread somewhere along the way, and their hope in the coming kingdom of God gave way to a zealous commitment in their religious routines and the rituals of their everyday lives. And I think that this proclamation to the Jewish community, this warning at the end of the book of Acts is not only for those to whom Paul spoke. I think this is a warning for the future of the church as well. At the end of Acts, written some 50 to 60 years after Jesus' ascension, when the church may have been losing sight of that kingdom too, losing the voice of their shepherd, Perhaps this is the second generation of Christians receiving this story now. They haven't met Jesus personally. They don't know if Jesus is coming back at all or when he might come back. They're wondering where God's kingdom is when persecution and hardship are all that they know. And Luke urges them to hold on to hope, to never relinquish their vision of Jesus' kingdom. It's more than 50 or 60 years after Jesus' ascension, friends. Nearly 2,000 years after that event, how much more at risk of becoming those hard-hearted people are we? How much does Jesus' kingdom compel us and inspire us and push us constantly to be more and more like him? I actually want you to think about that. And I want you to answer that question honestly for yourself because your answer matters. It matters because calloused hearts, they blind our eyes to what God is doing right in front of us. They close our ears to hearing the sweetness of good news. And if Jesus is king, then his kingdom is already here. And we are witnesses to it for the sake of the world. What are we seeing? And if Jesus will return, then we trust and have faith that his kingdom will come in its fullness with him. 
And we have to ask if we will be ready to receive it. What are we doing to make ourselves ready for that coming kingdom? Will that day come even as we are proclaiming it in our lives? Or will we have forgotten our hope in it and miss it entirely? Here's the point. Throughout the gospel, there is an expectation that somebody is going to praise Jesus. In Luke 19, in the previous book in this two-book set, on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus says if it's not his disciples who will praise him, it's going to be the rocks because somebody is going to praise Jesus. And now at the end of Luke's story of the church comes this promise that somebody is going to see the kingdom. Somebody is going to hear it coming. Somebody is going to understand its significance. And if it's not going to be the Jewish community, Paul says it will be the Gentiles. But somebody is going to hear. So in the same way, I think that Luke is suggesting that somebody is going to do the Father's will. Somebody is going to be Jesus' hands and feet for the sake of others who need to see and experience his love, peace, and justice in their lives. God's word doesn't return unsuccessful. Somebody is going to be Jesus. Is it going to be us? It's fitting that Christ the King Sunday comes right before Advent, right before the season when we most clearly express our deep desire and longing for the kingdom of God. We pause and we recognize that Jesus is already king. His kingdom has already come. It's already here in our midst. We remind ourselves that the reason for our hope is not only far off in the future, not only some indeterminate point, but it is now, it is today. And this in-between when we exist is a temporary hurdle as God writes the final pages of the story and completes the work that he began in Jesus' life through the hands and feet of the church. I believe that this is the question that is left for the church at the end of Acts. How are we going to finish it? Are we going to be like Paul who has become like Jesus? Are we going to be Jesus for the world today, seeing the hurting and the weak and the struggling and serving them? Will we proclaim the kingdom no matter the circumstances in which we find ourselves or our church or the world? Will we continue this story as it has been handed down to us, as it has been faithfully told? Friends, Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is king yesterday and today and forevermore. We have been entrusted with the work of watching and waiting, of proclaiming and expecting, of hearing good news and sharing it with others. We are invited to be like Paul, to become like Jesus, to be good servants of this king until he comes again. Friends, the next chapter is ours. May we live it well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let's pray together. King Jesus, your kingdom is beautiful and compelling. It transformed the lives of people over thousands of years. And we long and desire that it would continue to transform our lives and in our lives transform many others. God, we pray that you would continue to soften our hearts, continue to remind us of your rule and reign in our day. Help us to see you at work even now, to hear your gentle words of encouragement and assurance, to know that you are king seated on the throne even now, and that your kingdom will have no end. Help us to watch and to wait, to remember and to believe, to experience you now and long for the day when we experience you most fully. Amen.